ESPN NHL podcast with Linda Cohn and Emily Kaplan. Welcome back to the In the Crease podcast. I'm Emily Kaplan, joined by Linda Cohn. I've just checked into my hotel in Raleigh, which by count, I think I've checked into seven times over the last six weeks, but my counting is a little rough these days, Linda, but Raleigh is my second home. I'm here covering the Canes Rangers series. Linda, how have you been? I've been great. Uh, keeping busy, of course. But yeah, you know, I've been locked into that series for obvious reasons. People who know me know me the reason why uh, particular team. But um, I'm just very impressed. I, you know, before this series began, I picked the Rangers in seven. Um, I just felt it was going to be because of Igor Shesterkin. I didn't know what we were going to get from Auntie Ranta. While we were impressed with Ranta, and I certainly was the first two games, I don't think you can blame any of these losses on him. We're all even, as you know, Emily, because you've had a front row seat to all this. Um, but my um, just my impressions of game four, which was a huge one, obviously, to tie up the series at home. And now it's a best of three with Carolina having home ice advantage is the fact that the Rangers were so disciplined in game four, where they took just two minor penalties throughout the game. And our, our friend of, of our podcast who I adore, Jacob Truba, said the tone was hit on Max Domi in that game. And then the Rangers getting the power play and Mika Zimbanejad, Adam Fox, everybody power play just clicking and there was no turning back. And I think Rod Brindamore and the Canes have a problem right now. It's funny you mentioned the, no, the discipline that they showed because I felt like after game three, all anyone wanted to talk about was all those extracurriculars at the end of the game. Tony D, Max Domi getting into it with the Rangers bench, shouting some things at Gerard Gallant. And it was funny because like Rod Brendamore is like, okay, if Ryan Reeves wants to come out here, like who's he going to fight on our team? Like we don't have a fighter. Like that makes no sense. And even talking to Gerard Gallant, he's like, that stuff's not going to carry over because our guys realized how important it is. Like, if you see anything in this game, it's just because of things that happened that night. And I just think that's something that is kind of phased away from the old NHL. Like, that bad blood just, I don't know. I, I don't know if it, it really sinks in deep into these series because, again, these games are so important. I also know that the NHL has these calls regularly with coaches and general managers before every series, and they tell them, like, we don't want any of this. Like none of this business after the whistle, none of the silly business after games, like we will find you and we will make sure that like this gets eradicated. So I felt like both teams quietly got a talking to, and they just focused on the hockey in this game. And like you said, it was really good hockey from the New York Rangers. Like the thing that impresses me the most, Linda, is that these Rangers like don't care what the score is. They don't care what the series score is. Like they just play with confidence. And I do give a lot of credit to Gallant because I do think he's just the right coach to instill that in them. Um, but they're all buying in. They play with so much swagger. Yeah, well, I, it's been no secret how much I uh, adore uh, um, uh, Gerard Gallant. I mean, he's been a difference maker all year. And obviously the players trust him, believe in him, and he's a winner. Yeah, a winner. Um, and so getting back to the Truba hit, and yeah, they hear those conversations. They hear, obviously, the NHL saying stick to playing hockey. But Jacob Truba saw an opportunity, and this is all on Carolina. Nobody asked them, nobody asked Max Domi to swing his stick at Ryan Lindgren. You know, nobody asked Tony D'Angelo to get into a shadowing match with Gerard Gallant. Um, and that ha did carry over to that Jacob Truba, who saw an opportunity early in this game to do something. It wasn't his total intent. It was just, wow, I can't pass up this opportunity. Domi's head was down. And I like Max Domi I, as a player. I just thought that was bad decision-making at the end of game three 
that's decided to pick a fight by swinging a stick. So it can carry over. Yeah, I disagree that that's carryover, though. I think that's an isolated incident because if we've seen Jacob Tuber all year, all he does is lay out these type of big hits. Like, I thought that was just a hockey play, and I don't think it mattered who was on the receiving end of it. You don't know. I respectfully disagree. I mean, I think I, he is, he definitely throws weight around. And by the way, he's a, he's a hit MVP. I mean, him. Uh, no, you know, people should talk about the year Jacob Truba has had for the New York Rangers and how he has become the player that the Rangers, uh, you know, knew they were going to, that was going to be when they signed him a couple of years ago, uh, throwing his weight around exactly, Emily, uh, making impact and doing it defensively uh, and offensively when needed. But I don't know, I, I give him a little more credit perhaps than you do. I think he knew, saw the numbers on the back and uh, saw an opportunity, but it wasn't a vicious hit. Uh, it was just a typical Jacob Truba hit, which was legal. Yeah, okay, we got to talk about the Carolina Hurricanes because it just boggles my mind how a team that, as talented as they are, and they're so good, has not won a game on the road this postseason. Um, and you mentioned Ranta. Um, he's been solid for them, and I think that's quieted some of the noise around, okay, their regular starter, the guy that carried them all season long, Freddie Anderson, hasn't been in net. Um, you know, being around the team, I think there's a bit of frustration starting to boil over that Freddie Anderson is not available yet. Um, you know, um, this was something that happened to him in Toronto where he was injured and the team thought he was ready and he said he wasn't ready. I'm not sure we're at to that extent. Freddie's now getting on the ice. Um, I actually ran into Freddie before game three at the garden. He was wearing shiny white shoes and I was making fun of him. I was like, Freddie, white shoes in New York? Really? Like I wore white pants outside. They barely made it past noon. Um, but I said, how are you feeling? And he said, better. And I said, well, we see you in the series. And he kind of just shrugged and, He's definitely slow playing back from this sprained knee. And it, it's a story for sure, because I mean, this is the guy again that they relied on all yeah. season long. And again, Ronta hasn't been the issue, but at some point you're going to need to incorporate Freddie back in if you're going to make a long run. Um, I just think it's interesting too, Linda, and I'm going to get your thoughts, but like they look like such a different team at home and in the road. And like they played some really good road teams, but why can't they score? And it's like, if that's your identity all year is scoring, like it starts to get into your head and you start to get rattled when you're only scoring like one or zero goals a game. Not only that, Emily, uh, you could put them on Mars. Sebastian Ajo is doing nothing. Um, I mean, the big guns, the big boys, as I like to say, they have to come through. And if Carolina, there's nothing, you know, even without Freddie Anderson, he's, he can't score goals. They're not scoring enough goals. Yeah. And, and I know what you're saying about home and away and home and away. But it's not like Sebastian Ajo blew me away at home either. I, I need the stats are a lot better at home. Shots on goals, attacks. Okay, great. But I look at the you know goals. I ripped the Rangers big boys plenty of times uh, against Pittsburgh when they were down, and then the big boys showed up. Okay, they scored the big goals. We're seeing that now from the Rangers when they were in desperate times for desperate team when they were down 0-2 to Carolina. Now. I don't know why Carolina plays better at home. They seem to play their game and all the, whether it was the Bruins or the Rangers, they just get sucked into that. And you know, may, may I say, almost playing a, a neutral trap game like the Devils used to play. I know it isn't, but it's that boring. I mean, admit it, the two games at the Garden, which Gallant, when he switched the lines in game three, opened the ice for the Rangers to, you know, play offense as well as See, the Rangers in Carolina, to me, got stuck just playing defending, 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 and they forgot how to score goals. They forgot to get shots on goal. 
that Carolina took advantage see, of. I that. disagree. I love how we both watched the same game and we could see something totally different. I feel like especially in game three, Carolina was like their typical aggressive in-your-face self. Like they get the four check going. I thought they played a great game. I think the issue though was just goals. They just couldn't score. Yeah, they put a lot of shots on Igor Shesterkin, but he's only better when you put a lot of shots on Igor Shesterkin. So, it's you know, and it's where are those shots? Emily, where are those shots coming? I don't have the statue in front of me of grade eight chances. Um, you know, you can fire from anywhere. Uh, just ask Mike Smith, but we'll get to him in a bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, I had to. Uh, I know, I know. But um, so we'll see how it goes. Okay, I, I, I'm not counting out Carolina. Okay, I picked the Rangers in seven, but you know, Rangers are going to have to figure out how to win in Raleigh, where you are now, and it's going to be an amazing game five uh, that you are going to witness firsthand. So that'll be really cool. Uh, before we get to the Edmonton Oilers and what they're doing. Uh, let's, let's, I don't know, shovel some dirt over the Florida Panthers. I mean, I was so wrong. I thought this was their year not to win a cup, but I thought that they could somehow take out the lightning in seven. That was my pick. Uh, I was so wrong. People are still letting me know about it, but I wasn't the only one. I real I knew Bobrovsky wasn't going to be the issue and he played very well. He kept them in the game, but Emily, I mean, where was Barkov? Where was their captain? He was doing absolutely nothing. I mean, if you can't score, can you block a shot? If you can't score, can you throw your body? We've seen these with other captains, Connor McDavid, Steven Stamkos. I was very, I was going to point a finger, finger at one guy. That's who I'm pointing the finger at, Alexander Barkov. Yeah, it's interesting. When I think of this series, I think, I think of Tampa Bay just having something special, right. right? Like you go, you don't have Braden Point here, and for whatever reason, that doesn't affect them, and they can still play their game. I think of Andre Vasilevsky being an absolute horse, yeah. like he was insane in the series. Uh, Forty nine saves in that clincher is just this. I mean, mind boggling. Like he's just on his game. Um, but I also think for Florida, like you're right, this was the year to go for it because starting next year. Barkov's extension kicks in, Cardinal Hagee's extension kicks in, like the salary cap gymnastics start to become a little more intense. And that's why you saw Bill Zito go for it so aggressively at the trade deadline, getting Ventura, getting Claude Giroux. And you're like, they have all the pieces there. It's just that one it factor where how can you be such a prolific offense through the regular season, never get shut out once, score six or more goals, 17 times, that's insane, and put up this offensive done in the playoffs. And this to me is just kind of that mental hump that a lot of these teams have to get over. Like we're seeing Colorado start to get over it now. We saw St. Louis get over it before they won a cup, Washington, Tampa Bay themselves. Um, but it's frustrating because it's such a disconnect with how they play in the regular season and how they played in the You series. know what it reminds me of, and it's before your time, and I understand that, but it was just, Ooh, it was, the, teach it, me, was teach me. it was when on, I watched, you know, when I first starting in this business, watching the New York Islanders in their dynasty years. And this is exactly, this is exactly what they would do. And it was like, the Edmonton Oilers, let's say, before they won and went on their run with Gretzky and Messier and that all-star group, the future Hall of Fame group, they had to see what it took to win a Stanley Cup. And that there's, it's well-documented, the stories. Wayne Gretzky talks about it all the time. After one of those mm -hmm. series losses back in the day to the Islanders, they would walk by the Islanders' dressing room and look like it was a war zone. There were players beat up left and right, ice bags everywhere, and they won. The Islanders won. And that was the life lesson that Wayne Gretzky took to himself, for himself and his teammates. And then, of course, the Oilers went on to win a bunch. 
And that's for the Islanders. The old Islanders remind me of the current Tampa Bay Lightning. And boy, they showed me. And they do have the best goalie in the world, Andre Vasilevsky. He was just waiting for a super challenge, right? You know, turn on the switch and be the closer that he always is. But it's these, it's the, it's the block shots, right, Emily? It's like everyone oh my going God. all out. It's the Anthony Sorelli's. It's the Nick Pauls. It, yes. You know, I mean, yes. you name it, they play a role. No, you're so bang on there. Um, and look, like that's an organization that's been through some stuff. Like the players and the coaches sometimes go to battle. The players go to battle with themselves. But like they're a veteran team that just knows how to win and knows how to gut it out. And I know there's so many other teams in this playoffs that just envy that identity that they have in the locker room because that's really hard to replicate. So I want to give kudos to them. I also just pat myself on the back because before the year, Linda, and in this series, do you know who my Stanley Cup pick was? And it's looking pretty good. Well, it has to be the lightning in there. <laughs> I've got Colorado over Tampa Bay, and it's aging pretty well. Now the things in my picks don't age well. That one's aging. Oh, yeah, well. we'll see what happens with Colorado. I think they might be in trouble if the, indeed the Edmonton Oilers get to a Western Conference final. But I'm ahead of myself with the Oilers. I picked them. I was one of the few to pick them over Calgary. I picked them in six games. I really believe in this group. Um, what, what I saw at Connor McDavid in that first round series and how he was just more than the guy that just us speed and skill, how he was a real leader. And I knew that was going to carry a long way. My only concern was Leon Dreisaitl, but he is playing through this lower body injury. And then of course, Evander Kane, who I am just, I, I just love how he has put his head down and just been him. What is him? Him is an amazing hockey player. He knows how to finish. Yeah, people make jokes. Hey, me, you, anyone, your grandmother could plan a line with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and score. No, you can't. I mean, you really can't. You have to know how to finish and create. And so, obviously, as we speak now, he leads uh, the league in postseason goals, Evander Kane does. And the points that Dreisaitl and uh, McDavid are piling up are incredible. But, boy, uh, watching last night as a goalie, you know, I, I've always, you know, I, I've been down on their netminders, whether they're good or bad, for two years now. And uh, when I saw that 132-foot shot go in, uh, and Mike Smith throwing his hands up in the air, I'm like, tying the game? I was like, oh, no, not again for the Edmonton so Oilers and a guy named Smith putting the, you know, doing a real gaffe and creating disaster. So kudos to Ryan Nugent Hopkins to just stop the bleeding and totally put the Oilers back up in front. And they're like, okay, we're good now. I love like, those are the moments in the playoffs too, where it's like someone makes a gap and then you have your teammate that just saves the day so that we're not talking about it. And like, I'll share one story. Like after game three at the garden, um, that was a huge game for the Rangers. Right. And Chris Kreider and Mika Zibanejad were the stars. Like you said, like we had needed the big boys to step up and they did, but late in the third period, Chris Kreider had a wide open net yeah. and he just misses whiffs on it. And it was one of those things where you're like, how did you score from the angle you scored earlier in the game, but missed from that angle? And let me just break in all Ranger fans in that building were like, Oh my God, definitely. The Canes are going to tie it up now. Cause there was still like two minutes totally. left on the clock. I know. I know. So clearly there was a sensitive topic for Chris Kreider because when he skates over to his in a interview with me after the game on the bench, he turns to me and goes, if you ask me about that empty net, I will skate away right now. 
See, I was wondering why you didn't ask him about it. Now I know. Because he threatened me. And then I said, well, I saw you give Tyler Mott a really big hug when you guys were all coming off the bench. Can I ask you about that? And he goes, no, because that's related to the same topic. (laughs) And I was like, okay, Chris, I understand boundaries. And we went through the interview and then we kind of had like a little awkward ending to it. And I was just like, one of those things, you know, I'm struggling with these. I do so many, I do five interviews a game, seven, you know, there's a ton of these interviews that I do. And I'm always trying to make each one unique and create a moment out of all of them. And sometimes it's harder than others. Um, you know, a one, one moment that I wish I followed up on is I was talking to Frank Petrano after the first period yesterday. And he says, yeah, like, you know, we just need to grind it out and get two points being like, Frankie, you do realize we're in the playoffs here. There are no two points. So you can tell these guys, always some up. of them, are, some of them are robotic and they have those inner words planted inside their, their tonsils to spit out, exactly. at the, you know, at the right time. But um, getting back to the Oilers, I feel they're for real. Uh, they got to keep that pedal down now. Uh, it's going to be tough to take out the flames in five, in five, which is, I can't believe I'm saying that. But I still feel the Edmonton Oilers are going to find a way to win this, and maybe they'll make me a genius and win in six. Um, and, yeah, I know Colorado, as we speak, hasn't put away the Blues yet, but I do think that will happen. And um, I pick Colorado to win the Stanley Cup, but I think we're in for it. It's, it's the series I want to see more than anything. It's Colorado against Edmonton in the Western Conference Final. I just think that would be such a treat. I think we're, we have a treat with the Battle of Alberta, and it's been great and it's been unpredictable and I love it. And it's must see. And I'm glad it's on ESPN, but um, looking ahead, which I am guilty of doing Nathan McKinnon, Connor McDavid. Oh, incredible together on the same ice surface. I know the drama, the stakes are there. It's there everywhere. I mean, like, I just don't think enough is being made that the Tampa Bay lightning are going for a three peat in the salary cap era when two of the seasons were affected by COVID, which in my opinion, doesn't give them an asterisk. It gives them a like, holy cow, that's so much harder to do um, kind of asterisk. So there's a lot to watch. There's a lot at play. Uh, we'll be following it all. Linda, what does your week look like? Where can people find you? I saw you're hosting in the crease. Yep, uh, hosting in the crease Thursday and Friday, of course, on ESPN plus with Barry Melrose. So that will be fun. I don't, there won't be a show Friday. If as we speak, if Colorado eliminates St. Louis in five, but that's neither here nor there. Emily, I think I know where you are. You already mentioned you're in Raleigh for game five. You're going to continue to stay course with this series. I am indeed. So they've now guaranteed a game six being that it's all tied up. So I'll head back to New York and man, I just, I love covering games at the garden, Linda. It's yep. a special place. I, I really do love covering games in Carolina too, though. Like I've really, you know, I talked about in the last podcast, fall in love with a lot of the people here and and the vibe Come on the fans, everybody's but... nice to you Emily I know it's great you know it doesn't matter what arena you're gonna be in you're always fine and I, I'll say the same thing I'm not I'm not criticizing I'm just saying that's what happens you find things in each arena people uh workers players whatever it is it makes you say you know what this place is pretty good too it's so true it's the security guard that's supposed to stand outside the official store for me in Carolina Mikey and every time I walk by you know after period he goes Emily, great job. You're doing great. I'm like, Mike, you're not watching the game. You have no idea how I'm doing, but thank you. But he's just always so kind and I just appreciate it. Awesome. All right, let's leave it there. Thanks everyone as always for listening to In the Crease, the In the Crease podcast with me, Linda Cohn and Emily Kaplan. Enjoy the hockey, everyone. <laughs>